Welcome to the ABCs of Matrescence. We are two mamas, Emma and Mackenzie, and we both have toddler age boys. And here on our podcast, we chat all things real motherhood from A to Z and everything in between. Matrescence is the process of becoming a mother, and we chat about various aspects of that on each and every episode. So welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks so much for checking back in with us. It's nice. It's actually been a second since me and Mackenzie recorded together. And I said tonight, but like you mamas could be listening to this at six in the morning. I mean, true, true. You never know. Never know. So (laughs) nice to catch up a little bit. And uh, so before we dive into our episode, I mean, we do kind of have a serious topic, but we do want to touch on there is a lot going on. Um, the past few weeks have been pretty intense in the world. Obviously, we're still all dealing with COVID, which is varying degrees depending on where you live right now. But for a lot of people, myself included here, it's pretty crazy at the moment. Um, but more importantly, this has been kind of a, a pivotal time in our country, you know, with the Black uh, Lives Matter movement going on, the George Floyd situation and we are going to delve into that you know do it um some more honor and respect in a more in-depth episode coming up in in multiple episodes this is not just a one episode okay we talked about it and check it off the list this is a um ongoing conversation and something Mackenzie and I have really really talked about heavily yeah between us yeah I feel like we've been really um Trying, you know, it, I feel like we've seen this word floating around social media and I feel like I've kind of, or I should say phrase, and I feel like I've kind of grasped onto it a little bit and that's the do the work. Like, you know, actually what, what can we do besides just be feeling, you know, shock, horror, et cetera. Like what, what can we do? And I feel like you and I have been really communicating about the ways in which we are working, I would say, on broadening our perspective and challenging I guess the and I feel like we've been doing a lot of the like the thing that comes to mind is like, listen and learn and then Mm -hmm. figure out a way to do better. And I definitely think that we've both been in those stages of really trying to listen and, you know, have our own accountability and look at our our social circles and you know the way we are moving about the world and you know learning a lot things that frankly we, we probably should have already known and been yes. more attentive to um that's just being honest and figuring out ways you know to to do better and that's not an overnight process it's going to be a a long-term thing but we are we're working on it and more than anything i think having open communication with each other and family friends etc cetera, etc cetera, um doing a lot of you know reading diverse books podcasts social media expanding our our intake and yeah listening and learning and and trying to as i said do better so um just wanted to acknowledge that we'll we'll talk about it more in depth um but that is what's going on in the world and we hope everybody is is hanging in there and kind of doing the same so Absolutely. Yeah. And today we're, we're recording this podcast on June 22nd. So Juneteenth was just a few days ago. And I mean, I'll be the very first to admit, I, I feel shameful in admitting it, but it, it's appropriate to admit it, that I was not aware of that date nor the significance of it. And I'm 34 years old. So that was like, just, uh, I mean, as if everything else wasn't eye-opening enough, the fact that 
you know, learning more about Juneteenth and educating myself on it. And, you know, my, my church just put out a really great lean in kind of series chatting with, um, one of the elders of the church who is a woman of color and she was you know, describing it and explaining more. And, and it was just, you know, just one of those moments where, you know, you, you kind of have to remind yourself like, you know, wait a second. Like I, was this really like, what, what bubble was I living in? What, what really was I, was I doing, <laughs> you know, just, yeah, just such, yeah. a, such well, a strange uh, Unfortunately, and I think it's something a lot of us are, are realizing is, you know, we live in the bubble because it only affects, you know, we only deal with things that affect us and kind of everything else is kind of like, eh, it does, it's not directly in front of us. So mm-hmm. why bother? Why learn? Why realize what injustices are going on every single day? And in recognizing that we can take part in getting rid of those, you know, and making things better and in raising our children to do better than we have, to be blunt, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It's, so it's well said. Yep. So anyway, well, we're going to jump into some highs and lows. So how about you, Mackenzie? What's been going on uh, for you? So I would say that mine are, are really directly related truly to what's what's going on in our world right now. So I think not only is there the heaviness about what we've been experiencing for the last three plus months with the pandemic, but I just think this, you know, entire notion that's now just presented before us that has been in front of us for years and years and decades and and is something that we weren't paying enough attention to previously, but that's the idea here of, of racial justice. So for me, I just feel, you know, I guess it's it's hard to even call it a low because I often, you know, try to think of it more as an opportunity for growth and learning, but it does feel like a low, kind of like I mentioned before the word shame, you know, you feel a little bit like you've been that ostrich burying your head in the sand. And I think that that's, you know, and of course, that's turning it. How do I feel? How, you know, this isn't about me. This is about how other people are feeling, listening to their story. So I think trying to really turn that around has been important for me in this process. But I would say that feeling the heaviness of that and having some, you know, difficult conversations, you know, being willing to jump into to questions and, and hear the difficult answers, or even just like you said, Emma, listening to a podcast that's shedding light on a perspective that truly I did not pause to consider before and listening to a podcast and, and just feeling, you know, this raw sense of this is another mother's experience raising a son or sons or children of color. And that's just something that I have never had to face. And so the, just those kind of feelings just feel really, really heavy, even though they're really important. So I would say in a way it's a low, but it's also kind of an I guess an optimistic twit, you know, spin to it would be just the the progress and the area that I would say I'm trying to move towards. And I know you're the same way. So yeah, the it's a low, but it's also a high for me in that being able to be open about these topics. I mean, I think about just our friendship I'm over the past, you know, now it's it's been many months. This was not a topic that we talked about extensively previously. And now I feel like not a day goes by that we aren't sharing something that we learned or discussing something or bringing something up or passing a podcast title, you know, to each other. Or, hey, let's, let's you know, jump on and, and, and check out this, the content that this specific person is posting, or this book would be great for the boys or, you know, over in Emerson or whatever. So I think that that is, is something that, that has been really a, a positive. I think we've seen not only in our friendship, but in, in what it's meaning for what we project through ABCs and Matrescence too, so... Yep, I 100% agree. Um, yeah, it's it's been impactful to say the least. So, um, yep. so for me, my highs and lows, just to divert off a different subject, because I could 
completely just, you know, reiterate everything you just said. But since you did so eloquently, I will move on. Um, so for my low, so yesterday, wait, what's today? Yeah, yesterday. Was like, yesterday? I don't know what yeah. day of the week is. It was Father's Day. And my father passed away this past September. And so it was just the first Father's Day without him. And I was kind of surprised that it triggered so many emotions. I mean, I guess I shouldn't really be surprised. But it did. And it was just an emotional day. And it's just been kind of heavy on my mind a lot lately. And yeah, so I just I had a little bit of a rough day. It was tough to... I really wanted to be present for my husband and make sure I was celebrating him appropriately because he is just a fantastic father. But it was also hard for me to, I guess, kind of bury some of those emotions and sadness and Mm -hmm. and all those feelings. So, yeah, that was definitely been kind of my low. But on the flip side of that, um, still related to family, I went last week up to visit my mom and my brother and sister-in-law and my niece. And it was so nice. It was so refreshing. Okay, the car ride. Not nice. Throw that into the low category. Yeah, the car P.S. Ooh, four hours in a car with a toddler by yourself. My husband stayed at home, so I was solo. Oof. It was not fun, especially yeah. since I went during nap time and thought, he's going to nap for two hours. It'll be great. Nope. 20, 25 minutes both ways. It was, it was not fun. It was, there was tears both ways. So there was that. But this is the high part. But anyway, it was wonderful to see my mom. It was really, really nice. I feel like it was kind of the first time that she got to spend really relaxed, chill time with Owen. I feel like I got to see a lot more of his personality. And that was fun. It was fun seeing my nieces six months older than Owen and letting them interact. So anyway, it was lovely to have some family time. We haven't seen them since all the COVID stuff happened. Actually, it's been since December. So much overdue, much needed. So that was, yeah, total high. Well, you know, it's uh, we haven't done, and we should actually be really fun to chat, kind of travel and visiting like both our families and also our in-law families. That's definitely a, a topic in and of itself. But one thing I think is neat is that you experienced because you stayed with your mom. Like that's what Emerson and I experienced, I feel like, when we were in Arizona uh, at the beginning of the year. Because when you're actually in their environment, then I feel like Owen or Emerson kind of adapt to that, you know? Yeah, and it was very it's interesting. different versus like your mom's at your house or like my parents are at my house. Like there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it tends to be more like, okay, we're going to come for a couple hours. And then when he takes his nap, we'll leave. But then we'll maybe That's exactly later, what it you is. Know? Because like split up. Yeah, nobody stays with us. Like when my mom comes, we just we don't really have a great setup for her Same, to stay yeah, here, unfortunately. So she usually stay. gets an Airbnb or something like that. So yes, it's exactly that. She pops by for a couple hours and then it's kind of rushed and we also usually have dogs and anyway, it just it's not the same mm-hmm. as like us just having the entire day. And because of COVID, we didn't go anywhere. So it was totally. really like three days of really just chill time. And so it was super fun. And Owen was actually he minus the car ride he slept great he did great he was really happy kiddo and so it was so it was so much fun that's awesome worth the hellish draft yeah but you got through it we made it (laughs) won't do it again though (laughs) yeah yeah you need a little break yeah Yeah. break Or, or at least to be with hubby because doing that with somebody else can be helpful somebody else can throw puffs at owen Oh, yeah. I mean, I did plenty of that, too. And I ate lots of puffs. I ate my feelings. It's cool. Ate my feelings and puffs. So anyway, so we're going to jump into our topic tonight. So we are talking all about anxiety and and how it relates to motherhood, um, which we have probably way too much to say on. And um, yeah, we hope it's something that y'all find interesting because I think everybody has some of it to varying degrees. So um, yeah, but first we want to kind of touch on in case this is shocking to you, we are not <laughs> medical experts. We are not professionals. Um, so if you I do not have we were an medical MD. experts Mm-mm. all this time. I we know. just want to let you know we're not. 
we probably haven't said this to this point. So don't don't you know have a heart attack if this is new information to you. Um, and if you do her have a husband heart attack, is no wait if you do have a heart attack don't call us or if you call do her call us call your I'll husband. husband it's fine yeah yeah he is a doctor but yeah we are we are definitely not not by proxy so um this is you know is a very uh, fairly serious topic and so if you are exhibiting any true signs of um serious anxiety seriously uh postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression even please reach out to your medical professional uh do not rely on my sarcasm to dictate <laughs> your health care so <laughs> it's too bad because your sarcasm bad. i feel like it makes me better some days well, it does help my anxiety, or it's a great cover-up for my anxiety, but I don't want to take responsibility for anyone else. Oh so. so the definition of anxiety, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And interestingly enough, I have been told in the past by a therapist that anxiety is concerns with something in the future, whereas depression is concerns about reflecting on something in the past. So I think that's kind of an interesting way to think about it, right? If you're experiencing depression, you might be in a reflective mood thinking about something that's already happened that you wish you could redo or that you wish had been had a different outcome. And then if you are experiencing anxiety, you are obsessing potentially about the future, i.e. the uncertain outcome. So you're kind of thinking in the future versus the past. So I found that to be at least kind of a helpful way of identifying, if you will, what anxiety is. So, Totally. Totally. So how about you? What was anxiety like, I guess, um, you know, during the pre-pregnancy, trying to conceive stage? Did you have much anxiety? Do you have a history of anxiety? Or is this kind of, you know, what, what was that like for you? So I, I definitely do have a history of anxiety. I was never diagnosed with um, with depression, but I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder in my early 20s. So for a period of time in there, I was seeing a therapist and, and trying to work through that with uh, the cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And it was helpful in kind of being able to recognize, oh, that's that like kind of racy heart feeling and that kind of like panic that creeps up, that is anxiety. So I was able to kind of identify it a little bit, but it was never debilitating for me in any way. It was just something that was kind of always under the surface. And I would say that that same under the surface feeling definitely presented itself during the trying to conceive journey. So as, as you and I touched on in one of our first episodes, we we're talking about our journeys to trying to conceive. I definitely felt that anxiety, if you will, that uncertainty about what's going to happen. Am I ever going to get pregnant? What's wrong with my body? What's going on? Why don't I have a period? I think I felt a lot of those obsessive, continuous, like ruminating thoughts that were just spinning out of control. So I would say that I definitely experienced the waves of that nervousness, unease, et cetera, during that, that time frame. What about you, Emma? Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't, I was definitely never diagnosed with anything. Um, I would say I can be an anxious person. It's more of a control freak tendency. Mm. And so when you talk about it, you know, more affecting the future, I'm always somebody that's thinking ahead and kind of trying to control the next step the next thing. And so I think of every different scenario and every which way things could go because I like want to be prepared or I want to move things the way I want them to be. And so, you know, that was absolutely probably at its strongest almost um, while trying to conceive because, you know, I didn't get a period and then we went the medical route and it was like ever, I mean, it 
truly took over every second of my life. It was all I could think about was the next appointment and we did the injections. And so we went back and forth to the doctor every other day and it was, are the follicles growing? Are they not? Is this one going to work? Are we going to trigger? What day are we going to trigger? You know, what's our Mm -hmm. schedule like? Are we going to be able to do the shot? It was totally that circular thinking. And yeah, it totally, totally took over that time period. It was hard to think or do much else minus focus on trying to conceive. So yeah, wasn't wasn't the best time period for anxiety, that's for sure. And I think for both you and I too, it's important to note in there that our both of us have the same diagnosis of hypothalamic amenorrhea, which was uh, some people may be familiar with the term HA, the basically the absence of of a period as a result of the hypothalamus isn't isn't functioning properly. Generally, it's because of a lack of nutritional fueling often overexercise and high levels of stress. And we were both experiencing that. And so I think that that's also something that we can both really, and we did really relate to is that in addition to thinking about trying to conceive, we're also hyper aware of the fact that our bodies like in their like core state are actually not functioning as they should, you know? So I feel like that was also like always on my mind as far as food intake or exercising or stress. Like I just kind of felt like a, it's a continuous like playback in your mind. And I'm sure you can relate to that one. Yep, totally. It definitely, it was hard to move past. So, um, so what about, what about once you did actually conceive, how did anxiety play a part in your pregnancy? Did it? Did I would say I definitely was nervous at the beginning. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to describe because it sounds like I actually felt certainty, which oftentimes I feel like in pregnancy, you, you don't feel exceptionally certain. But as soon as I found out that I was pregnant, I just had a feeling that it was going to be okay. Which is, which is strange. I, I don't know why I had that, that confidence. And, and again, I feel like if my husband was here, he would say to me, well, honey, it's, you know, the chance of, of keeping a pregnancy versus experiencing a miscarriage that the, the chances generally do fall more towards, you know, not basically the, the pregnancy will stay. I think that the percentages go to that. So he said, I think he would just sit here and say to me, well, it's a percentage game, right? Like, you know, you, you were on that side of the percentage because he's very like practical. So he would say you had a good feeling about it, but the percentage was also on your side. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah, kind of, totally, totally. It's, statistically, it's, yeah, statistically, it was more likely that you were going to exactly. have a baby than not. So, exactly. Yeah. So that's how I think that for whatever reason, I, I just adopted that, that mindset. But I would say I definitely had, you know, the, the worries throughout the pregnancy of, of various things. You, know, you go in for this ultrasound, this, that, and the other. Two very key moments during my pregnancy when I had actual concern about Emerson. And then it, it, that definitely created a lot of anxiety was around five weeks as a result of I did a, the HCG trigger shot. I got an ovarian cyst. And so they saw that I had the cyst before they could see the heartbeat because it was just five weeks. And I was told basically like, lay low, do not do anything. I had to stop teaching pure bar. I was encouraged to basically do nothing but walk slowly, you know, and basically kind of wait for it to die down. And that made me very concerned because the biggest risk was there would be the ovarian torsion. And then of course, if that occurs, they have to operate immediately. And, and generally the, the, um, the fetus is lost. So that was definitely a time of extreme nervousness that lasted from about five to seven weeks. So it was just about a two week time frame. And then again, at 35 weeks, I got some pretty extreme pain on my right side. And um, my husband, I'd have been having the pain during the day. He came home from work and he did, you know, a few just kind of, um, 
you know, his doctor things on me. I don't really know how to say. I laid on the couch. He poked things, you know. (laughs) That's very clinical. So in case you did think we were medical experts still, I think that just proved otherwise. Gave it away. He did his doctor things. Oh, my gosh. That was fantastic. Just wait for the the episode on our sex lives. It's going to be good. Oh, goodness. Yeah, that's that's going to get clinical. I'm just kidding. Hide your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he just, but, you know, he did, he did a few things. He, he spoke with, um, one of his colleagues and they just determined, you know what, we want to rule out appendicitis. So bring her in. So at 35 weeks, I went in, had to have the stress test, had to have, um, monitoring done. They checked my cervix, which was extremely painful by the way, when it's closed at 35 weeks. And it ultimately just ended up being, um, kind of muscular skeletal, just Emerson pushing and moving in there. And just the way he was sitting and chilling, um, created a really sharp pain and he was totally fine. But those two moments were moments when you are not only concerned for yourself, you're so concerned for that little tiny life inside you. And that was a different type of anxiety that I'd ever experienced before. So, yep, that would be, that would be those moments for me. But what about yeah. for you, Emma? Well, I would say, so it's funny you say that about like when you got pregnant, you just actually felt almost at peace. Like this is going to be okay. And I actually felt that way too. Um, so it was kind of interesting. It was like when, as soon as I got pregnant, it was just like pure excitement. If I'm going to be honest, mm-hmm. um, you know, me and my husband were both just so excited. We were making all the plans and then I had a miscarriage, um, around nine weeks and that changed everything for me because I really didn't expect it. Like I knew it was a possibility, but I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I think I thought we've already gone through so much to get pregnant. No way. You know, like, uh-uh, mm-hmm. this has to be it. Like, you know, it's taken years and all the things. And the first one didn't didn't work out. And after that, my anxiety was through the roof. Um, mm-hmm. We were fortunate that we conceived two months later. But I don't know. I had both anxiety and almost a detachment from the pregnancy, which is kind of sad to say. But it was just like we were so elated the first time. The second time we were kind of like, yeah, I don't. I don't buy it, you know. And so I definitely had anxiety. I had a little bit of bleeding the first trimester. So that was just like, you know, any any weird pull, anywhere cramp, any feeling nauseous, not feeling nauseous, all the things. Um, yeah, I was super anxious the entire time. Um, I would say, though, around 20 weeks when we did the anatomy scan, we knew it was a boy, all that, I finally calmed down a little bit. And it was kind of like, I don't know. I realized, okay, he's okay. You know, he's, he's growing, he's healthy, all the things. And so I'd say past that, I actually did settle into a little bit more calmness. I didn't have a ton of anxiety about giving birth. Oddly, even though like I am such a control freak, that was something I, I don't know. I just kind of figured he was going to come out one way or the other. You know, so, I'm I mean, the same way. I, yeah. I mean, funny. I had it's plans that I wanted, but I didn't same. feel super freaked out about it so Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. so i'd say once we get through the halfway point i was able to let go of some of those anxious feelings over you know whether the pregnancy was going to continue or not and yeah the second half of my pregnancy was much better it it was much lower i was more excited so Mm -hmm. yeah so so how was uh the anxiety postpartum um once you had little baby e so i would say that the anxiety 
as far as like caring for him, providing for him, those kinds of things truly was extremely minimal. I felt, I mean, obviously every child's different and, um, it was, it was new to care for a newborn that was my own. Obviously it was my first child, but I had had a lot of experience with nannying in the past and caring for children as young as three weeks old. So it was, it wasn't foreign to me per se. So I certainly didn't have anxiety about the care perspective, what gave me a lot of anxiety was all of the external stuff. So like my husband going back to work, it's, you know, my six days postpartum and then my parents leaving, they'd been here and they left after when Emerson was just two weeks old and then I was without them. And then preparing for, you know, the incoming, the the, the, the visit of my, my mother-in-law and then my sister-in-law and her family and things that are, you know, wonderful things, wonderful to have family visiting, wonderful to have had my parents there. All of those, those things, I guess, the coordinating, the organizing, I felt like those things were so heavy on me. And I think that that was what created a lot of anxiety for me on top of all of the exhaustion, the sleep deprivation and, and all of that. And a few little things like starting right around about three weeks or so, Emerson really started spitting up a ton. And he actually, it's funny. We, we actually saw on his pediatric file at some point, they printed out something and, um, and, and we saw it and it was that he was actually, they actually diagnosed him with that, um, the reflux that, and we, we'd always just thought it was just like kind of a symptom, not like actually that he had the diagnosis, but they actually did based, based on what I described. But because he kept gaining weight so well and there was never a concern for that, it, it, they never were like, we need to do anything. So medication wasn't offered, et cetera. It was just like, oh, your baby spits up on you all the time. But I remember being yeah. like, I hope he's okay. And then taking him in, you know, to the doctor um, for that. Uh, but yeah, so that, that would be what I would say. What about for you? Did, was it anything specific right after he was born? Um, I, I definitely did have a lot of anxiety, but it's almost hard to pinpoint. Um, I just, this sounds so weird. I did not want to share him. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't sleep well. I was, I don't know if I'd say even afraid of something happening to him. But it was like, if he was not touching me at most times, I I felt super anxious. I just was worried of leaving him with anybody else, dad included. You know, I have some friends that I've seen, you know, three week old and they leave him with mom and dad to go grab dinner. I mean, I had to go to a appointment to the OBGYN at four weeks because I was having some stitches complications, which was pleasant. Um, and I mean, I was truly at that almost having a panic attack level that like mm. I had to leave him. And so yeah, that was it was weird. But it was also such a blur because as you said, like how sleep deprived were we like he never slept at that age. And, um, and as I've mentioned in the past, he was also a really colicky kid. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have anxiety over taking care of him or like my abilities per se. It was just I don't know. I guess I was just worried about his state of upset and I was worried about what was wrong, I guess. I did a lot of searching for like, why is my baby crying all the time? What is wrong with him? Or what is, you know, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So, you know, a lot, a lot of different anxieties, I would say, um, during those early, early periods. And I'd say for me, that lasted probably till mm, he was four months old, I'd say before I really calmed down a little bit. And I kind of felt like a little more stable and like I could breathe. We started leaving him with the nanny for the first time around that period, which hmm, that was not easy. But um, yeah, so that was kind of the most intense period of anxiety for me that kind of just felt like all encompassing, I guess. 
You know, it's so interesting to hear you say that because it makes me think about how the postpartum experience truly is so different for every woman. Because I remember Emerson was one week old and my parents were like, he's sleeping. You know, he just ate, he just nursed. Why don't you and, and Tree, it's my husband, go grab a bite to eat? And we did. We went and grabbed a bite to eat. And Oh my and gosh, like, yeah, I could never I, have done it. Well, see, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, it's just so, isn't that so amazing? Because yeah, I, yeah. I just, and, and it, 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 that, that to me felt okay. But then what didn't feel okay was I remember then, you know, having, um, it was like about a month later, my sister-in-law was here, my mother-in-law, who are wonderful, loving people who love Emerson with their whole hearts. But I remember a couple times they were holding him when he was sleeping and it was like something inside me. It was almost like an animal. Like I needed him to be then in my arms. Like it was this Mm -hmm. possessive feeling, even though like they flew all the way across the country to come and hold my precious baby. Like I, I was, I felt joy in seeing them love him, but I also felt this, like this maternal like possession. And I think, Oh that no, I felt so very much the same. And the way you phrase that is a hundred percent correct of like, yeah, this like maternal instinct of like, <laughs> I hate to say it, but like my, my in-laws who, as you said, they are wonderful. I love them to death. Like they are so cautious and so careful, but I just remember when they showed up to the hospital, they were the only people that came and held Owen. I mean, every bone in my body was saying, give me my child back. Give me my child back. Mm-hmm. You know, it was weird and it was territorial. It was just like, and even they came again at like eight weeks and it was, if not more intense at that point. And it was so weird because I was also so exhausted and desperately needed a break, but I just could not turn that feeling mm. off that I was like, nope nobody nobody can soothe him like me i have to even though i wasn't able to soothe him either it was just some weird some weird thing yeah strange yeah it really is it's like all of these kind of emotions that you don't really anticipate or predict and it feels different now i think because the boys like they completely know us you know so like even when my sister was in town gosh now it was over a month ago but even when she was here like there was there was no question if she went upstairs and woke him up from his nap and he didn't see me oh my gosh it was meltdown mode because he like whereas i feel like when they're that brand new at times i mean of course they want the comfort and the nursing and they know who mom is to some extent but i mean let's be real there are moments at the beginning when they could be held by just about anybody if they're sleeping you know totally yep and so i think that that that's a little bit hard too because you are the one feeling all those emotions for them, but they're not yet articulating the same emotions back. So Yeah, and I definitely think I went, I had this feeling of like, God, we had gone through, I felt like so much to get pregnant. I just, yeah, I wanted my baby. <laughs> I did not want to share him. I didn't want to miss out on those moments. But again, there it, it was a mix of like, obviously just like love and wanting to be with him. But then it kind of crossed over into this, I don't know, worry of like, something was gonna happen I think a lot of it was he was so colicky and cried so much I almost felt like other people couldn't handle it Mm. which is not probably accurate but in my head it was like because he's my son and I love him endlessly I can take this with still like in a loving way you know Mm. like even when I was just like he was crying for four hours on end I still was oddly able to have this piece of like I love you I love you. I love you. You know, and it was almost like I Mm -hmm. I didn't want somebody else to hold him and feel frustrated at him. I see. You know, like I I had this weirdness of like, you know, yeah, I don't know. It was a weird, it was a weird emotion that it's hard to describe. Well, it's just interesting what you're saying, because I I, want to ask you if you feel this way now. So now with the age the boys are at, 
I feel, and this is also COVID talking, speaking of anxiety, I now feel tremendous anxiety at the thought of leaving Emerson again with, with one of our nannies is, um, as has mentioned, she would, you know, love to come back. And obviously it's extremely part time. We just have her very occasionally for like a date night or whatnot. But, you know, and I'm, I'm excited about it. We're going to move forward. I, I think it will be nice to have, even if it's just during the day, a few hours with my husband to go, well, things are still somewhat closed here, but you know, even a walk, that would be great. But I feel this sense of like, I mean, I already told her, well, the first couple of times you come over, I'll still be here and we'll just be together <laughs> because I feel like she's wonderful. She cares for him. She treats him so well. I mean, but when he, like, I know the cry during a nap when he just needs to cry and go back to sleep. But I know the cry when he needs me to get, like, I feel like I'm so in sync with him. Like, can somebody else handle it? Or putting him yeah. to bed? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just feels And that's how I felt weird. as a newborn. I just, mm. I don't know. I just felt like I knew him best and, like, mm-hmm. he was struggling and I was the person that could patiently be there for him and not you know just get frustrated so but you know i'm sure again that's not entirely that's not accurate i'm sure my mother-in-law would have held him crying as long as he needed to because she loves him too but you know at that moment in time those were the emotions i felt so speaking of you know what are some of the big triggers we were just talking about leaving the boys with nannies i know that has been high on our list Mm -hmm. i would say yeah that's a big one for me right now i think I think one thing that I can really identify that causes causes me anxiety on a daily basis, and now this is this is starting to feel really therapeutic. Emma, should I pay you? Like, I should I Venmo you? Def- for this you session? definitely should pay me. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I'll I don't know why, yeah. but I'll take it for sure. <laughs> Go buy some Cat and Jack clothes or Hannah Anderson. It's great. Oh yes, ah, he was wearing the cutest Cat and Jack shorts earlier. Those ones you recommended to me, the four dollar ones oh, from yeah. Target. So, so cute. cute, just little cotton shorts. Anyways, um, for me, it's the fact that in the day. They're like, they're obviously he's still nursing. So there's the nursing sessions. And I feel like my windows, if you will, because I obviously haven't had to pump in three months. So because of COVID, the, the windows feel pretty narrow, right? So he wakes up. So then he has to, you know, he has that period. And then there's this. So I feel like there's always like, okay, so where would I insert like a caregiver? Where does it make sense for me to take a few hours like for myself or what, you know, okay, so if the person comes in the evening, they have to put him to bed, but he's used to nursing before bed. So what would that look like? And I feel like, I'm a runaway train. You know, it feels like every day when I try to kind of picture what would that look like or what would that feel like, it just well, seems Well, and like- I would say I think we both, probably because our own choices to an extent, but also COVID, we feel fairly tied in because the nursing, because mm-hmm. we're waking up and nursing them. And we're also not, I mean, I don't think either of them nurse to sleep, but they nurse, it's like they're wind down. And wind I have down, a lot of sure. fear about would he even nap? without nursing first you know would he go to bed without like it feels like a big attachment to that routine and i think for me that's at least like a mental block that i'm having a hard time getting past which isn't good necessarily like it's not it's not great for us to feel like locked in by that yeah i know and i think that that's like one of the that's one of the drawbacks, I would say, to extended nursing. Because we were joking the other day, if we were to, if we should have cut them off, we should have cut them off around a year, right? Because that's yeah. when, you know, they're just starting to have an uptake in solids, etc. And it would be like kind of the time to like just, oh look, you know, there's no more boobs. But since we didn't do that, it now feels as 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 many positive aspects as they are. It definitely does feel like a crunch crutch to some extent, especially too because neither of us like are wanting to hop back on the pump. 
you know? Nope. Oh, I don't even think I could anymore. I mean, I think those, for me, those days are done. I don't think I would respond. And I wouldn't do it anymore because I don't think he needs it. Like, it's a a comfort. But what if, like, you nursed, I'm just like, like, I see this is where I get, like, hypothetical about it, though. Like, what if you nursed him, like, before his nap at 1 and then you nurse him again at dinner? So you would just not nurse him from, like, 1 p.m. until, like, 7 or 8 the next morning? Probably. Ah, I see. I see. Yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, maybe I would hand express a little before bed for comfort, but I I actually don't think I would bust out the pump because we're only nursing three times a day now. Ah, okay. And so I I think, yeah, I wouldn't. Pump is dead. It's dead to me. (laughs) (laughs) But no, that's actually, that's actually probably like, I guess a good thing, right? To be kind of like moving in that direction. Yeah, I feel good about it. I'm ready. My nipples are ready. Hashtag nipple pain. (laughs) I knew it was going to come out at some point. But I would say that, you know, one thought on like the leaving them anxiety, all of that, still nursing them does create, obviously, not only is it like an actual physical tether, but it's also kind of an emotional tether. And I think that as soon as that step is removed and then whatever would happen before bed, maybe it's a warm cup of, you know, I don't know, milk or whatever, but whatever it would be, that would be like a routine. Because I remember nannying and the parents would explain to me, okay, here's the bedtime routine. You do the, the dinner and then the bath, then they read this book and you do this bottle or this cupcake cup or this milk and whatever. And then, you know, you turn the lights out and then you rub their back and you sing a song. Like, I remember those things. And then sure enough, it worked. The kid will go to sleep. And I feel like right now there are aspects of that routine. I could tell somebody that Emerson has minus the fact that he snuggles with mommy for 20 minutes and breastfeeds, you know? Yeah, totally. Yep. So it's a thing. It's a, it's an anxiety for sure. Yeah, that's, that's I think the thing I just have to keep reminding myself is, look, the first time or two is going to be hard. Like it just is. It's going to be uncomfortable. But what's the alternative that we never leave our children again, you know? Yeah, like, would that true. really make us happy? So I think for me, you know, that's part of this is, and I guess we'll get into that in a little bit of minimizing, but it is just kind of visualizing it and being okay with the fact that it's going to be hard and just having to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that's very true. Anyway. So what's, what's some other triggers? Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you the same. One other thing for me I would say is n- not having a moment to myself. So it feels like any free time is like stolen time. So like if I get up early enough in the morning, I've been trying to channel my inner Emma and get up just a tad bit earlier mm-hmm. um, for like a workout or just to, you know, have my coffee and, and chill for a moment or whatever. I feel like, okay, that's my time. And then I know, all right, then he's up. And then I know that I have generally it's been one nap. So that six hour stretch or so till he goes down for a couple hours. Then I know it's another like four and a half or so hour stretch. Then it's bedtime. Then I know it's about an hour and a half to two hours until I need to go to bed. So everything feels like these like slices of time. And so everything has to fit into those slices of time. And so that to me can just feel like anxiety provoking because it's really never like, oh, what am I going to do this afternoon? Or, oh, what am I going to do this morning? It's like inevitably I'm entertaining a toddler. And I think so that creates a sense of like, Every moment has to, like, I was reading in in that book that I told you I love by Molly Milford, To Have and To Hold, like, every single moment of time carries so much weight. Like, I, I feel the need to fill it with exactly productive things. Like, oh, this morning I did a workout and then I made mini quiches and I unloaded the dishwasher all before Emerson woke up. And I really felt like I deserved, like, one of those prizes they give, like, a six-year-old when they compete in, like, a soccer league, you know? I felt like I want a little trophy for that. But I like if I had just woken up and then did nothing and then he was up for the day, I'd feel like, oh, I didn't get anything done, you know? Yeah, so it's like totally. this constant drive for productivity, which can be just a little 
a little challenging. So yeah, absolutely. It's a big yeah. one. I don't know if that resonates I, I, with you. but Yeah, it does. And in fact, the funny thing is, sometimes I have so many things I want to do, that I almost get stuck in a holding pattern, and I do nothing. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, I have 30 minutes here, I need to yeah. do this, this and this. And I just scrolled Facebook for 20 minutes. So totally. Or like I sat on there was that feed. Or it's like when I do get an hour, my husband's like, I got it. You go do something you want. Then I'm like, what yoga class do I want to do? Let me check out 30 of them. Oh, wait, let me check this thing. Oh, let me check this thing. Oh, there went my hour. Yes, I like, do I, you know, like so I just spin true. over what I want to do with this precious time and I don't do anything relaxing. <laughs> Yep, exactly. So, or like yeah. you, you, how fast the time goes. Like today, I put Emerson down for a nap, and then I'm trying to think of the things I did. It's like I can't even remember what I did. And all of a sudden, just like you said, 40 minutes had gone by, and I was like, "What do I have to show for this 40 minutes?" Yeah, and and so it's just a constant back and forth because time is valuable while they're so little and are so needy. So yeah, yeah, that's one. Um, another I would say for sure that causes me anxiety is planning for trips, family visits, outings. Um, I feel you on this one after I just came back from a trip. Yes. And we were, we, we took a little family trip as well. Um, a few days ago, about, about a week ago, we went away for three days and I remember like about three days before we were about to leave telling my husband, I just feel really uptight and anxious. And he was like, what about? And like, sometimes he kind of has me like, encourages me to like really pinpoint it, which is helpful, right? To actually say what is being causing my anxiety. And so I did. And and I said, you know what? I'm just feeling really anxious because I have to do so many things to prepare for the trip and pack and get organized and get ready. And he's like, you know what? Let's just chat like plan. So we actually made a set plan. Like I would, you know, prepare Emerson stuff kind of at this time and my own stuff at this time. And then this is the way it would look on the morning of departure. And this is when he was available to help me. And when he was, you know, so I found that like actually like mapping that out was helpful, but it creates for me like, a, like someone that just throws something in a bag at the last minute. Oh, and gee, that is so not me. I make a lot of lists. So yeah. many lists. Like I, I have lists on lists. Like I should get a tattoo of this list. I will say this last trip for me, there's something that has shifted in the past few months, oddly. And maybe it's because, I don't know, maybe it's because we don't have the opportunity for a lot of these anxieties, like, because the nanny hasn't been an option, because we haven't had the trips. But even this last trip, I was oddly calmer. Like, Mm. I volunteered to do it. I was waiting for those panicked voice notes, and then it came. I mean, don't get me wrong, I had, like, the... I had moments, but it wasn't anxiety. It was more just like, ah, this is annoying, mm-hmm, you know, or mm-hmm. like my child is screaming, I wish you would stop. But I actually did not have that same level of anxiety. I'd say some of it's calmed down. And like, for an example, like a big anxiety for me used to be the sleep. I was so freaked out by, mm-hmm. is he going to sleep tonight? I mean, I just remember for months, months and months and months, he was such a crappy sleeper. Every time I got him into bed, it was like, what time is he going to wake up next? And I could never sleep because I was so anxious about when is he going to wake up? Will I be able to get him back down? Will he wake up again? Blah, 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 blah. Like Mm -hmm. all those things. And same with naps. You know, I'd put him down for a nap and I would do nothing but stare at the monitor feeling anxious about how long is he going to nap? Like Mm -hmm. it was a pass or fail situation. But I will genuinely say a lot of that has passed for me. And I don't know what the shift is. Maybe it's because I'm just like, Oh, well, if he doesn't nap, like, frankly, the world's not going to end. He will yeah. be grumpy and kind it will trial be okay. And yeah, like, it's it's okay. I, I think it's just that now he's older to me. He feels a little bit more flexible. 
And like, we're not so dependent, or maybe I'm just more flexible. I don't know. Maybe I'm just freaking tired. I'd say that's part of it. If I'm going to be blunt, is I'm tired, I don't have the energy to be anxious about some of the stupid stuff that I was anxious about before. Because I've yeah. just realized in the grand scheme, they're, they go through phases. Mm-hmm. You know, phases there's just things sure. I can't control. So, yeah. I think that's really well said, because I feel very similar with sleep. And I feel like, you know, one other thing, though, that is helpful is that we've both you know, almost entirely night weaned, you know, with very rare exceptions. Yeah. But and this so, was the first night tonight. He woke up at 4.30 in the morning and we couldn't get him back down. And I, I can say this nursed is, him in the night in ages, right? I mean, it's been months, at least a couple of months. So was this was he like, like hey, totally out of the blue. Was he stoked? I mean, dad went in twice to try oh, to get him back so down. I went in just to try to cuddle him, but he just ripped my shirt off. So there was that. It was, wasn't up to me in that situation. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's not a thing anymore. Thank goodness. I think that helps, right? Because it's like, we know they're capable of sleeping through the night. So for me, like to let him cry a little bit or do kind of what you guys do, like go in and let dad do a check and then give it a try. So I feel like the fact that they're older is helpful in a way because we're just a little bit more familiar with, I think, with them and like realizing like they are okay. Like, just like you said. So if there's a crazy day and they nap 30 minutes because of life, well, they're going to hang and survive. And, you know, even the other day, Emerson and I, we had just a little outing and um, he went to bed like an hour later than normal. And the next day he was a little grumpy. I mean, yeah, he was a little sleepy and a little grumpy, but like, it was fine. You know, like, yeah, like life. Like I mean, it's not, just kind of you know? like, yeah, they're a little grumpy and that's annoying, but the world's not going to end. You know, like it's fine. I mean, both of our travel days, he slept 20 minutes, you oh, know? So crazy. I mean, it, it just was what it was. But guess what? He slept okay. Like he had one bad wake up, you know, being in the pack and play because it was a new environment, but he went back to sleep, you know? I don't know. It's just not the end of the world and it is what it is. So I've just tried to simmer down about some of that stuff because it does take the enjoyment or, you know, frankly, for me, that kind of stuff just used to hold me back from going places. Like I would not go places because I was so anxious about what if, what if, what if. And I do feel like, you know, probably just with experience and I don't know, again, him growing a little older and feeling more flexible that I've, I've calmed down about some of those things. And I think too, just like you said, like with, with, you know, the time, the experience, but I also just think having a little bit more like confidence to call it what it is. Right. So like me, like I'm, I'm chatting with um, a friend and I, we're going to try to get together just this upcoming weekend and just, you know, it's going to be playground outside, et cetera. Um, but you know, I, I had no problem telling her, you know, either we meet pretty early in the morning, like right around nine and do like an hour. Cause in my mind, I'm thinking worst case scenario, he falls asleep in the car. That's 10 to 10 20 and he'll still nap in the afternoon. Or I told her, you know, later afternoon would be great, like around four. And it's like, I feel like the reason I didn't suggest noon is because he would inevitably fall asleep on our car ride and that would ruin his afternoon nap. But it's like, I have no problem like asserting that and recognizing my need is I need that afternoon nap for my sanity. So therefore, oh, yeah. like, you know, so I, th- I think like that feels a little bit like easier in a way, right? Like for I said, sure. the when I went home, evening, you know? I flat out told my mom and my brother that like, hi, he naps from one to three. We need quiet. I mean, and it was like, not to be rude. It was just like, I don't want my kid to be grumpy and miserable. So I need this Mm -hmm. time. And they were both like, cool, you got it. You know, no big deal. I was like, I don't want to go anywhere. I need the house to be kind of chill. And they totally respected that. And yeah, so it is just, just knowing ourselves, knowing what, what we need to feel a little bit more comfortable and what our kids need. So, yep. So, and then one thing to point out as well, I think for, for anxiety, because I know that 
people experience this, especially this is certainly one of the signs of, of postpartum depression as well, but like random accidents fears, but like even, even beyond, you know, kind of just the, the, the classical mom worries, you know, ones yeah. that extend beyond just, I, uh, you know, I Did worry you ever about have a lot of that. Baby. You know, I got, I had, I would get those weird flashes. Like I would get weird, like a, a weird vision, like of, of like, oh, I dropped him like in my mind, you know, or like, what if this happened to him? Or what if I was pushing the stroller across the street and a car went by and hit the stroller? Like I would have like those kind of like, like an actual very visual ex- experience. And I was told that um, from from my therapist, then a little bit of reading I did, that that's actually, that is a sign actually of, of postpartum anxiety, which I was never formally diagnosed with in the sense of the postpartum, but I definitely experienced, you know, I would say I, aspects of that. And so, yeah. so Yeah. I know that if it extends like even more into like more of a realm of like a, I guess, you know, like if it's, if it's becoming debilitating or it's anything related to you harming your own child, et cetera, I would imagine myself dropping him, but not intentionally, if that makes sense, right? It'd be yeah. like a fear no, thing. No, I totally, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, I know that if it extends beyond that, then it is. Um, yeah. If it becomes yeah. something you're fixating so. on or really is debilitating, that is absolutely important to go see somebody. Yeah, but even just the lightweight version of it was uh, was oh, no yeah. fun either. Yeah, so. absolutely. So let's kind of quickly touch on we've we've you know no shock talked more for a longer amount of time than I we know. planned. Emma and McKenzie, um, we're going to keep this short tonight. Emma and McKenzie, yeah. we did not keep this short tonight. Never. But so let's touch on um, I guess some of the quickly kind of some of the ways we minimize our anxiety. So what has been a few things that have been helpful for you? So for me, it's been open conversations with um, I would say the predominant person to be super like with whom I'm super open with my life is, is my husband. Also, you know, I share, you know, to some extent what's going on, certainly with my mom and and she's always, you know, listens really carefully and, and gives thoughtful feedback and my sister as well and friends. And honestly, quite frankly, you, Emma, you have been here for me through every step of we started really chatting what the boys were like were they like two months old? Yep. And so I'm very, very grateful for you in that sense. So I think just being open about it has been tremendous. Naming it, I'm feeling anxious. And like sometimes even if it's just I'm feeling anxious today and like just calling it what it is, sometimes that has been that has been helpful for me. Well, so. I love what you said to your husband the other day. And I actually was like, ooh, I need to remember that and use it to, to say – I'm just feeling really uptight today because that is some days how I feel Mm -hmm. like I, you know, I don't even know if I should call it anxious, maybe, but I just feel uptight. Everything feels like I'm either trying to rush or I'm inflexible and I just feel like really on edge. And so, yeah, I think that's like a really great way to say that and just communicate to your spouse like, I am just having a day I feel really uptight, you know, and figure out a so he knows that so he knows like, hmm, you know help help out a little bit don't mm-hmm. don't push the buttons just be a little more patient and understanding mm-hmm. um and also yeah if there's anything you need to communicate just to try to work through it a little bit mm-hmm. yeah no that's so true and my husband like what he'll do is he'll literally just like give me a hug which is so funny because it is not when i'm feeling anxious that is not my love language to want to hug i was but he about to say like, i'd be like do not touch me well he kind of like forces me to give him a hug and i actually find that like it's like whatever they say the what is it called? Oxytocin or whatever? The, oh, love, yeah. the love hormone. So it kind of like chills you out a little. Oh, no, no, no. It doesn't turn to love. It's just more like love. Oh, no bounce. Wow. <laughs> You're 
You're welcome. Um, yeah, thank you for that. It's past my bedtime. I've been up since 4.30. I know, you're a kiddo. So, and another thing that, that really helps me is therapy. So chatting with a therapist um, during the pandemic, it's been a little bit more sporadic because it's all been via Zoom, but I would say kind of an average of every couple weeks. Um, that's been helpful for me. Sometimes I think therapy sessions can feel almost anticlimactic at times, right? You kind of come into them and the conversations almost feel like they wander a little bit. And But, you know, almost... Every single time you ultimately end up somewhere with like at least a little nugget of, of advice or something to reflect on or kind of a direction to kind of shift your mind to. So I think that that is, is definitely something that I think uh, a lot of folks could benefit from. So, or it's always something to keep in your toolbox. I think you've said it best, Emma, that it's something that, you know, for you, you've thought, Hey, like if, if ever, you know, this situation presents itself or when this situation presented itself, I did seek it out. I think it's helpful to remember, like it's there if you need it. So. Yep, totally. Yeah. So I think like for me, some of the things that have been helpful is actually kind of visualizing the worst case scenario a little bit. Now, we were just talking about accidents and yeah, I don't want I don't want to visualize that worst case scenario. But like the travel stuff, it's mm. really helpful for me when I realize I am just spinning out of control to be like, okay, what is the worst case scenario? Is it that big of a deal? Mm-hmm. And then like you know, and just being like, it's really not like, okay, he doesn't nap great. Okay, he doesn't have a great night's sleep. Like, this is not the end of the world. And just like, often, I'm just thinking in circles and identifying what the fear is. And is there anything I can do realistically, you know, to, and sometimes there is sometimes it's like, okay, this day is not a great thing to do. Or, you know, I'm not comfortable with this situation or whatever. But sometimes it is just like, okay, worst case scenario, this is what happens. It's okay, we'll move on. And so just trying to let that go really, really think it through a bit more clearly. Um, something I know me and you have talked about is we, we do use exercise. Um, yeah. And I think it's important to note, Yes, it can be useful. Yes, it can also be abused. And there's a fine line to know your why. Because for me, it is a good outlet. Sometimes mm-hmm. I almost need that physical outlet to let go of some of that mental energy. Um, it does just help bring me down a notch. But there's also, you know, I, I definitely have a history of overdoing the exercise. And it's not helpful just to run away from your problems by using exercise. So there's just a, a line there to be aware of. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely well said. And one thing I feel like we both have done with that is we stay certainly like open with our husbands. Like if ever, you know, my husband's kind of like, yeah, you, you could just chill out today a little bit. Or if I, you know, well, we call each like, other out a yeah, lot. We do like, I mean, yeah, a lot. Is, yeah. We, yeah. It, is, I think we've been great lately, which has been um, kind of cool that we've both simmered down. But I think we both went through a period where we'd be like, how much are you doing this week again? You know, totally because you just get in the groove of it and you kind of feel like it again, it, I think that it has probably a direct impact to what feels out of control. Maybe it's the boy's sleep schedule or something's going on or you're nervous about, I don't know, our husbands are working a ton or whatnot. What can we control? Oh, we can control the amount of exercise. And then before you know it, you're you're kind of in the throes of that. So yeah, it's just definitely something to be to be aware of for sure. Yep. Um, another thing that I think has been great for both of us has been Facebook support groups. So sometimes it's really helpful to bounce ideas around. We certainly um, both really enjoy the Facebook groups that were created by Dr. Nicola Rinaldi for recovering from hypothalamic amenorrhea, of which there are several different groups. And I know that 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 can be really helpful. Sometimes I think they can be um, almost 
a little bit much too, right? Like you yeah, kind you of have to know when to yeah. when to turn it when on, to when to turn, turn it off. off. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For um, sure. Books. I mentioned this earlier in our in our chat tonight, but Molly Millwood's book "To Have and to Hold" was absolutely terrific. Um, Millwood spelled M I L L W O O D, and she chats all about motherhood, marriage, and the modern dilemma. So she talks a little bit about the marriage aspect, and it could be marriage or just partnership. Um, although I would argue that a lot of the content in there would be beneficial even for a single mother as well. Um, but yeah, it, it just was a phenomenal book and, and to read and to kind of feel like, you know, you're nodding along with it. Like, yes, that is what I experience. Or yes, I do feel these sensations of, of an I, big identity shift and feelings of loss and, and feelings almost of mourning of the life that I, that I led previously to having a child or, you know, giving up a career or changing a career or whatnot. Um, so anyways, it was just a, a really helpful book for me. So I find that sometimes tapping into, literature in that sense can be can be really powerful so yeah absolutely i think my last thing is just talking to other mamas um Mm -hmm. obviously you and just other mom friends in the facebook group but also in real life and just hearing that i mean a lot of the things we were talking about we're not alone you know and there is different extremes and i think sometimes you you talk to other moms and you're like oh this is a little extreme like Mm -hmm. maybe i do need to figure out what what's at the root of this but also sometimes just realizing oh this is normal like this comes and goes and i'm not the only one that worries about these things and that is reassuring so yep for sure so i think just touching real quick on some of the um other anxiety treatments that you know are not some of the things we mentioned so medication is always an option i don't think any of us have anything against using that as a as an again a tool you know it's it's helpful for some people and if you are so far in i'm a big fan of sometimes you just need a little help getting to a place where you can work through some of the cognitive behavioral stuff and sometimes medication can be a um, great thing it's like that Um, foothold so. Yep, absolutely. And as you mentioned, therapy um, and doing so consistently, I think it can be kind of uncomfortable. And again, as you said, you know, there are just times where you're like, is this really helpful? Mm-hmm. But if this is something that's a chronic issue, just like committing to, to doing it for a while. Absolutely. So yeah, um, for sure. Um, I would say as well, you know, if, if you're, I say if you're into this, because I really struggle to, to be mindful and meditative, but I think that mindfulness, you know, meditation can be, can be helpful, especially if someone just takes a little bit of, of time just to pause. So sometimes like my husband always tells me every morning, take a couple minutes of quiet time for you. So I, you know, I try my best to do that, whether it's just sipping my coffee and, and just like thumbing through a few pages in a book or whatnot, just or you can be like me and yell at your husband every time he tells you to meditate. <laughs> well, sometimes I'm like, don't tell me. He does. Meditate. He does it consistently, and I'm like, no, hard pass. But it's okay. <laughs> I'm sure it's great for a lot of you people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it does help some people. It's for me, worth actually, trying. Something that has helped me as well, um, just over this um, this period, pandemic period, I think just being home a little bit more and having time to check in has been, it's been pretty cool. Our church has been doing broadcasts on on Sunday. So being able to follow along with those as opposed to always feeling the restriction of it's hard for me to get to church and get there solo or my husband can't come, et cetera. So that's been really helpful too from kind of a spiritual side. I guess that does connect with uh, meditation or mindfulness as well. But taking a little bit of time, I think just to be reflective. So whether that's 
more of from a religious perspective or spiritual perspective or just a quietness and stillness perspective, trying to do that, I think, is, is helpful. And I feel like, though, Emma, to some extent, you always tell me that, you know, at least during part of a nap, you, you take oh, time I do. to chill, yeah. you know? so I just don't like to call it meditation. I have, like, a connotation that you're, like, sitting on the ground, like, alming or something for, yeah, an hour. And that's totally not my thing. But let me just make thing. something really clear. If ever we get the opportunity to go to, like, a yoga retreat, I want you to be there with me because that oh, would be duh. fun. It would have cocktails. Yeah, duh. I mean, wine everywhere. Um, <laughs> totally. So the last thing I would say is um, gratitude. This is probably actually the one out of like meditation and mindfulness I do actually connect with is gratitude. And um, I don't know, it is helpful for me to keep things into perspective on, you know, all the good things that I do have in my life. And, you know, I don't mean that uh, nobody's allowed to struggle uh, because I think sometimes gratitude can feel like that when you're like, oh my gosh, everybody else has it worse. But looking at the things I do have and not just the negative moments or emotions is really, um, yeah, it's soothing. It's helpful. It brings me down a notch. Yeah, I think that's that's very appropriate, taking a chance just to appreciate what we have and take a deep breath and realize it is okay. Like it's okay to feel frustrated, overwhelmed, anxious. And yeah, giving yourself your permission. Yeah, yep. like you can have all the feelings and be a good mom and be a supportive wife, you know, et cetera. Like it's not one or the other. It's It can absolutely be both. Like anxiety and motherhood like coexist. As Beautiful. That wasn't as if that wasn't very apparent in the last 58 minutes. <laughs> I can't think of another, a better way to wrap it up than, than that. You There's a bow nailed for it. You. There's a little nailed bow. it. Bow on the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us again. And yeah, I hope this was helpful. I hope if you've been feeling some of this, you, you know, can relate and know you're not alone. And yeah, feel free to reach out to us anytime if you would like to connect even more. Uh, thanks for joining us today. If you would, if you're on your little phone right now and you have iTunes up, take a second to scroll down and leave us a five-star review. It takes like... 0.2 seconds um if you would like to leave us a review that is lovely especially if you're one of our close friends and you haven't left us a review yeah <laughs> um, close friends close hey friends now. hey now yeah that would be swell <laughs> family members like come on throw us a bone here yeah mom have but you left a review yet for real for real my sister um <laughs> but anyway <laughs> if you have a second we would totally appreciate that and yeah always come uh join the community over on instagram at uh apc's metrescence we will chat with y'all soon. All right. Have a great day, everybody. Chat soon. See ya. Bye.